Hello, everybody in YouTube land. Uh, just so you know, this is gonna this is gonna be a uh, a spliced uh, episode that'll contain different days information. Um, originally, when I recorded this, I had a full thing. Uh, I had a full uh, thing on the debate. I decided to delete that because after like three days of listening to it in my head, it didn't sound like it was proper. So screw it. Sorry, I had to get a drink there. Um, the reason this is going to be spliced together is because this is about the 1619 project. Uh, dedicated to, uh, are uh, founded by Nicole Hannah-Jones. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones has had a very varied, a very varied career, yeah. Um, apparently she has worked several places, including the New York Times, where they've started, where they had this edition. This all, the 1619 Project started as a Peace to celebrate the 400th anniversary of slavery in America. Why 400? Because apparently that's when the, uh, according to her historical record, that's when the first slaves were uh, put on land here in America. Now, um, I will say that as much as I read up on this, because I spent quite a bit of time reading up on it, so that I could at least sound a little more educated instead of just like some weird hit belly making a scene. But uh, as of right now, I have discovered a lot of stuff and like <coughs> apparently certain places are adopting this as curriculum to teach children. This started out as an essay to celebrate the 400th anniversary of slavery as I said before. But it started out as an exploratory essay that frames history around slavery and African Americans and the consequences of slavery and um, it's been held as a great reading piece but uh, takes liberties with historical facts and figures um, it just it seems like it's a bunch of hyperbole from a lady who wants her version of history recorded. Um, four, uh, now, the 400 years of uh, legal slavery uh, is more like if you if you actually round it out to uh, America. I mean, if you want to say that it was the the 400th anniversary of a slave coming to America, I are coming to land on America through. Uh, Slavery, I get that, but claiming that slavery's been alive and well for 400 years, no. <clears throat> Adding up all the time, it's maybe 260 years. Not 400, but then again, this is becoming a very... Uh, it's becoming the elephant in the room with a lot of people. Uh... Yeah, that's why I turned my notifications off. I can hear my phone vibrate. I can see a bubble, but by the time I actually get to reading it, it's already gone. Um, 1619 was when the first slave came to America, as I just said. The problem is, is this whole project has a racist leaning. 
And I'm not talking kind of, it has a major slant. Like, there are several, as, as we'll get into in another episode, there are major racist slantings in this essay. And in, in opposition to that, the president has now def- started up this 1776 commission which pays attention to great American history. Not necessarily all the proper American history, but great American history. I, I'm not opposed to listening to the truth as long as it's the truth and not just some hyperbole. Now, having said that, <coughs> I will be going over several, several, several... I, I've, been download, I've been trying to download all these articles so I can directly quote or read from them to read the entire article, and some of them are several pages long, but I can, I can, I have the ability to read several pages and boil it down to just a few paragraphs. Been able to do that most of my educational life. And having said that, it's disturbing to me that she is getting hailed as a hero to the uh, black population because of this idea that racism is systemic and that our entire system is propped up on slavery. No. <clears throat> and I have to say, the people who want to think that it's based on slavery, the entire uh, saying that the United States itself, the United States of America, saying that that's based on slavery is total bullshit we didn't become a nation to uh, to keep slavery we became a nation to govern ourselves any other thinking is just primeval and it's it's being rather uh obtuse you can make if you if you're trying to be like i guess you call them liberals now i'm not sure what to call them i call them radicals uh, radical historians who just want to press their own points. But these people seem to want to hold everything on the crux of slavery. And as a, as a, a huge surprise, well, not really a surprise, but more an astonishment, the admonition of this is just strange, but... Yeah, when people are, when people come up to me and says, "Well, your family was built on racism," no, my family wasn't. Crazy people, maybe, but my family wasn't built on racism. My fa- uh, I uh, I haven't directly benefited in my life from racism, not once, not ever. In fact, as I said in one of my other podcasts, I used to be the kid black kids and white kids ganged up and spit on when I was younger because I was legitimately poor white trash than anything else. I was the bottom of the pole. Like, you pick a kid to bully and pick on, that was what happened to me. <clears throat> and so this this white privilege bullshit that everybody talks about, where the hell is it? Did I make some bad choices? Oh, hell yes. But my sense of priority has been dictated by various things, you know, sometimes hormones, sometimes logical thought. Other times it's seeing down the road far enough ahead to see where the curve is and get the hell out of the way before that curve hits. 
but we are going to be exploring what other historians who actually specialize in revolutionary history think about this. We're going to find out all the defamatory, all the plumage, all of the uh, grandiose nonsense that goes in to this one theory. Am I saying that this theory is wrong? No, but it, remember, it was built as an, it was originally designed as an exploratory essay. And think of it like this, if you really want to. If you've watched Disney, <laughs> if you've watched Disney Plus at all, you remember Hamilton. The play Hamilton is not exactly everything that happened in Alexander, Alexander Hamilton's life. For one, Alexander Hamilton wasn't black. He wasn't Puerto Rican. He wasn't any of that stuff. But, uh, yeah. All that stuff, uh, you, you can't watch Hamilton and then, oh, this actually happened in real life. It's tit for tat. Ever. No, it's not. It's a play. I, it's a musical play at that, which I love that. I love that damn thing. I uh, I own it on DVD. I, as soon as it was uh, uploadable, it was on my computer and on disc that day. It's on a disc all by itself. It was worth the time to wait till it came up on 1080p. But that's how I view, and that's how I think we should view the 1619 project. Okay, you're celebrating. You're you're commemorating the 400th, the 400th anniversary, 400 anniversary of slavery coming to the new world, as it were. Okay, but you can't take that idea and then just think, well, that's all we fought for in, the, in, in all the throughout our entire country's history of slavery. No. No, you're not taking that. We'll be exploring more of that. We'll be exploring, like, I'll, I'll read you off some of this stuff here. Now, we have Historians Clash uh, with the 1619 Project, The Atlantic, How the 1619 Project Slandered America, How the 1619 Projects, or no. New York Times discredited itself by rewriting the facts of the 1619 Project, which did happen. I'll let you know about that. Rochester Mayor, uh, no, it's something else. I didn't know he was even there. Uh, the sixteen nineteen project challenges us to change more than our minds. The revolutionary dishonesty of the sixteen nineteen project. What the sixteen nineteen project really means. Just various stuff like that. We're gonna go through all that. So this may be well more than an hour long. I'm hoping it's more than an hour long. But this will be sh shot <clears throat> in small bits. I said that in the other video, but since I deleted that, I have to say that now again. So if you see my shirt change, or you see day, night, God knows what else, this is going to be filmed. Oh, this is going to be uh, recorded over a few days, so that I can properly read this and then disseminate from that, boil it down, and give you a paraphrasing of what the entire article said. Now, having said that, I know that I'm probably gonna get I'm probably gonna catch crap for this, but uh, for uh, this podcast and its content, but I'm not gonna lose any sleep over it. I'm losing. I'm actually at odds with this 
this profiling of history through a certain scope and a certain lens only. Do I go about tell, uh, telling everybody what the hell uh, what the hell the entire history of the Irish is or the Scottish or the English? No. But I will say that for uh, I will say that as a funny fact that slavery has been around longer in Africa than it was than it has been in America. Like I'm not kidding. It's been around longer in Africa than here in America. And it's been happening for hundreds, I'm not sure if thousands, but it's been around for many hundreds of years in Africa. When two tribes fought the loser, usually the uh, usually the losing tribe was often they were uh, the women and children were uh, raped and adopted and whatnot. The men were usually put to death or sold as slaves to other people. So if you're going to paint a picture about America being racist and slavery ridden, you need to go back to where the to where those colors they're painting with originally came from. Tainting all of America over one uh, over uh, one aspect is bullshit. That's like when people say that the Rothschilds run this country and they're trying to rule the entire planet. They may be rich, but I don't believe that they don't run my aspect of everything. I I run stuff based on what I need or want. That's what dealing is. But I aim to explore the sixteen nineteen project properly, at least through my own lens of propriety, and maybe diffuse this ugly painting that uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones has painted for us. And she vehemently sticks by this essay. This was a, this was an extracurricular project. But yeah, I'm going to go, uh, I got some more uh, stuff to download. Apparently I didn't download the right stuff. Not, not everything I downloaded was for this podcast, which I thought it was. I will be downloading more of those, which you'll see in the next segment, which will probably be seamless. Um, but yeah, um, I just want to let you know that it's going it's gonna to be that long. And while I'm at it, since we're in the first 15 minutes of this, I want to give a shout-out to Laura Witham, uh, Gregory Allen Manuel, a.k.a. Sprout, Kickin' Ass Man, Melt Faces, Smoke Weed, whatever. Sam Rowe, uh, uh, Bob Holly. Um, I know I'm forgetting some people, but I'm going to be doing the shout-outs at the end of this rather long thing anyway. So I hope to see you guys later. Peace, and uh, you'll see me in the next. You'll see me in the next segment. So I don't know why I'm saying peace. Uh, okay, y'all. Um, yeah. Hey, it's segment two. Um, I've been. I spent two hours reading crap today. All the articles that I downloaded, I spent a while reading them. I want to go over one or two of them right now. The first article I'm going to read is from. What is it? Oct. Is it October? Is that it? Yeah, October twentieth, twenty nineteen. This article was written by, hold on a second, I'm waiting for the thing to pop up here.
1619 Project challenges us to change more than our minds. Written by Jane Fried or Freed, uh, F-R-I-E-D. Apparently she is a PhD, a, 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 I don't know in what, but I looked up her image to look her up. And she, yes, she's a PhD, but she's like a 70-year-old black lady who is in full African garden and holding up a chain. It may have been just for that article. I don't know. But she is apparently pro Project 1619 or 1619 Project. Change your, changing your mind is harder. Changing your worldview is almost impossible. The 1619 Project, created by the Pulitzer Center and the New York Times, aimed to change our worldview about the United States by identifying our founding uh, our, by identifying our founding date is 1619, the year the first the year the first enslaved Africans arrived in Virginia. We are used to thinking of our founding uh, as a necessarily involve uh, as necessarily involving documents signed by wealthy white men asserting our right to independence and then framing our government. The 1619 project challenges us to look at the organic birth of our nation as the moment when a group of European men decided that they could create or they could treat a group of African people as property, not human beings. And thus was the United States of America birthed as a nation that permanently consigned people from Africa to immutable slave status, based on their skin pigmentation and geographic origin. Historically, slaves have always had a, a way out of slavery through the designated number of years, purchasing their freedom, or being freed by their owners for any number of reasons. Enslaved people from Africa in the United States had no way out. They still don't. They're still reaping the whirlwind that those European men started in 1619. Mind you, this is pro-1619, and this is, to me, this sounds convoluted. To continue. So where does this previously unacknowledged information about the birth of America leave white Americans and their view of our country's beginnings? As we struggle with our country's racial history, we are trapped in a state of cognitive dissonance, which began about what began about in 1776 and what began in 1619. The official declaration of independence from England occurred in 1776, and all of the iconic celebrations of July 4th emerged from that declaration. The founding of social and economic relationship uh, relations between two groups of people, the owners, the fa- uh, owners and founders, and the owned slave or enslaved, began in 1619. The United States would not have happened without the labor of people who were kidnapped from Africa and transported under brutal conditions to the Western Hemisphere. Out of slavery and the anti-black slavery, uh, anti-black racism it required grew nearly everything that has truly made America exceptional. It's its economic might, its industrial power, its electoral system, diet and popular music, the inequities of its public health system and education, its astonishing penchant for violence, the example it sets for the world as a land of freedom and equality, its slang, its legal system, and the endemic racial fears and hatred that continue to plague uh, it to this day, according to the Times. Racism was constructed by the original slaveholders to justify enslavement. By 1776, slavery was well established. 
When the authors of the Declaration wrote that all men were created equal, they did not include that men from Africa. When the Constitution was ratified, persons of African origin were consigned to property status. An entire populations of an entire population of Africans and their descendants have been fighting ever since to regain their legal status as human beings, citizens, and equal persons under the law. I know it's a long one. I have to keep scrolling because there's like huge gaps in this thing. Reframe, reframing the worldview of, uh, of many white Americans in the light of this information requires enormous courage. If we retain the perspective that this reframing is a zero-sum game, our habitual violence and interracial hostility will continue unabated. We cannot allow ourselves to think about the information presented in the 1619 uh, Project as anything other than a serious effort to correct historical inaccuracies, confusions, and deliberate attempts to mislead all of us. If we do that, and this document receives the widest possible consideration, we may be able to transform the worldview of Americans to a broader and more just and inclusive notion of who we are. It also says at the bottom, Jane Freed, Ph.D., is a retired professor emerita from Central Connecticut University, or Central Connecticut State University. She lives in Mansfield. And that's the end of that article. Mind you, this is, I'm not sure how old this lady is, but she is pro-African-American. What strikes me odd about this is, this is a lady who staunchly agrees with the 1619 Project, yet she has a Ph.D. And she's Professor Emeritus at a college. Does that sound oppressed to you, people? That doesn't sound oppressed to me at all. That sounds like she's using the fa- uh, she's losing the cloak of her uh, she's using the cloak of her, her position and station in life to try to reaffect us for her cause, which I don't agree with. But then again, I don't agree with I don't agree with the the project. For the most part. Now, let's go on to a different article. This one is dated September 23rd, 2019. This is a review that. And basically, she's saying that we need to change our outlook and accept the fact that we're stained and dirty and we can't ever get clean from slavery. And that we need to basically acknowledge slavery, which we do, but we need to go back and say, okay, this country didn't, this country started in 1619. Because some Spaniards brought over some slaves from Africa. Been happening a lot longer than that. And the United States has one of the shortest histories of slavery in modern history. You go back to back back when this continent was found. And slavery had already existed for hundreds, if not thousands of years at that point. But we're guilty of it because the whole system is there to oppress some nameless person. Okay, let's see here. The next article, the fight over the 1619 Project is not about the facts. A dispute between a small group of scholars and the New York Times magazine issue on slavery represents a fundamental disagreement over the trajectory of American society. This was written by N. Adam... Sirwer, December 23rd, 2019. 
Sorry. Okay. And this article was pub- was updated. That's my wife's phone. This was updated on December 23rd, 2019. Here we go. When the New York Times ma- uh, magazine pub- published its 1619 project in August, people lined up to, uh, on the street in New York City to get copies. Since then, the project, a historical analysis of how slavery shaped America, political, social, and economic institutions, has spawned a podcast, a high school curriculum, and an upcoming book. For Nicole Hannah-Jones, the originator of this project, the reporter who conceived the project, the response has been deeply gratifying. They had not seen this type of demand for a print product of the New York Times, they said, since 2008, when people wanted copies of Obama's historical presidency edition. Hannah Jones told me, I know when I talk to people, they have said that they feel like they are understanding the architecture of their country in a way that they had not. U.S. history is often taught and popularly misunderstood to the, uh, understood to the eyes of its great men, who are seen as either heroic or tragic figures in a global struggle for human freedom. The 1619 Project, named for the date of the first arrival of Africans on American soil, sought to place the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. Viewed from the perspective of those historically denied the rights enumerated in America's founding documents, the story of the country's great men necessarily to, uh, uh, necessarily looks very different. Sorry, I had to breathe and swallow. The reaction to the project was not universally enthusiastic. Several weeks ago, the Princeton historian Sean Willens, who criticized the 1619 project, uh, the 1619 project's cynicism. In a lecture in November, began quietly circulating a letter uh, objecting the project and some of Hannah Jones's work in particular. The letter acquired for signatory uh, signatories: James McPherson, or yeah, McPherson, Gordon Wood, Victoria Benham, and James Oakes, all leading scholars in their field. They sent that letter to three t- uh, to three top Times editors. And the publisher, A.G. Solzberger, on December 4th. The version of that letter was published on Friday, along with a detailed rebuttal from Jake Silverstein, the editor of the Times Magazine. Let's see if this has any more meat. Okay. The new construction. The letter sent to the Times says, We applaud all the efforts to address the fundamental centrality of slavery and racism in our history but then veers into harsh criticism of the 1619 Project. The letter refers to matters of verifiable fact that cannot be described as interpretation or framing, and says the project reflects a displacement of historical understanding by ideology. Willens and his fellow signatories didn't just dispute the Times Magazine interpretation of past events, but demanded correction. In the age of social media invective, a strongly worded letter might not seem particularly significant, but given the stature of the historians involved, the letter is a serious challenge to the credibility of the 1619 project, which has drawn its share not just just of admirers, but also critics. Nevertheless, some historians who declined to sign the letter wonder whether the letter was intended to... uh, 
to less was intended less to resolve factual disputes than to discredit laymen who had challenged an interpretation of American national identity that is cherished by liberals and conservatives alike. Quote, I think, I think had any of the scholars who signed the letter contacted New York contacted the Times with concerns before sending the letter, we would have taken those concerns very seriously, Hannah Jones said. And instead, there was a kind of a campaign to get people to go to, uh, to get people to sign on to a letter that was attempting to discredit the entire project without having a conversation. I don't recall Hannah Jones having a conversation with anybody before she did that. She just took on the project and didn't ask you. You didn't ask anybody else. You asked people to contribute to it. So it's a one-sided argument. Underlying each of the disagreements in the letter is not just a matter of historical fact, but a conflict about whether Americans, from the founding from the founders to the present day, are committed to the ideals they claim to revere. And while some of the critiques can be answered with historical fact, others question uh, others are questions of interpretation grounded in perspective and experience. In fact, a harsh, in fact, the harshness of the Willens letter may obscure the, the extent to which its authors and the creators of the 1619 Project share a broad historical vision. Both sides agree, as many of the project's right-wing critics do. Uh, uh, as No, sorry, I'm going to reread that. Uh, both sides agree, as many of the project's right-wing critics do not, that slavery's legacy still shapes American life, an argument that is less radical than it may appear at first glance. If you think an anti-black racism, or if you think anti-black racism still shapes American society, then you are in agreement with the tr thrust of the 1619 Project, though not necessarily with all of its individual arguments. The clash between the Times author and their historical critics presents a fundamental disagreement over the trajectory of American society. Was America founded as a slaveocracy? No, it wasn't. And are current racial inequities the natural outgrowth, a natural outgrowth of that, or was America conceived in liberty, a nation haltingly redeeming itself through its founding principles? These are not simple questions to answer, but because the nation's pro-slavery I love how I start recording and every uh, noise imaginable happens. Okay, where the hell was I? While some of the critiques can be answered with historical facts, others are a question of interpretation grounded in perspective and experience. In fact, the harshness of the Willens letter may obscure the extent to which its authors and the creators of the uh, uh, 1619 Project share a broad historical visions. Hold on, I already read that part. Uh, a clash between the Times author and their historian critics represents a fundamental disagreement over the trajectory of American society. Was American was America founded as a slaveocracy? No. Are the I said no by myself. It's not in the article. And are current racial inequities the natural outgrowth for that? Or was America conceived in liberty, a nation haltingly redeeming itself through its founding principles? These are not simple questions to answer because the nation's pro-slavery and anti-slavery tendencies are so closely intertwined. Mind you, this is an insanely long letter because this goes on for like, I could talk for like an hour and still barely 
cover everything in this. But it seems to be a rather odd bit of crap. To put this in uh, to put this in perspective, like Willet uh, Willens said, the fight for Black freedom is a universal fight. It's a fight for everyone. In the end, it is affected. It it affected the fight for women's rights. Everything. That's the glory of it. Wins told me, to minimize in any way that is, I think, bad for understanding the radical tradition in America. Well, my problem with all that right now, currently, is that. I don't know if the author is trying to take uh, trying to take the uh, take on that or denounce it, or maybe a commentary on uh, an, uh, uh, a nonpartisan commentary on this. But just from these two, you can count that Willens, uh, Sean Willens, apparently seems to be so stuck on his own opinion. And this, uh, unless I'm mistaken, this guy is cornbread white. And why he's doing anything with this is beyond me. I mean, it's beyond my capacity to do much of anything. And I don't get it. I also saw an interview. I watched an interview last night, since we're done with this article, mind you. I'm going to kill that because I don't need to see it again. Okay, I was watching an interview last night. I'm not sure who the interviewer was. Black guy, bald head, glasses. More than likely one of you knows him. He was interviewing Nicole Hannah-Jones. And what blew my mind is a statement that Nicole Hannah-Jones made that completely floored me. I could not fathom the logic behind this because it doesn't make any sense. In this interview, she's stating that third-rate Americans, us poor Americans who live check-to-check, check, so to speak, we have more, uh, us white, low-income, uh, us white trash Americans living check-to-check, check, apparently we have more wealth than a middle-class African-American or black family. And according to her, their their wealth index is for uh, they get one cent out of every dollar is how wealthy they are. Somebody explain the logic to me on that. Now here's another great point to make while I'm still going on this because this segment is kind of long, I guess. If you're so much better off, if, if, if us white people are so much better off. But yeah, you have like a four-bedroom house, you and your husband have a car, you have two to four kids, you have a dog or a cat or both, one of each. You have all that, and yet I'm wealthier than you? No. Bullshit. That's scapegoating. It seems to me that she's trying to make being black a victim thing, and yes, they're trying. she is trying to... She has admitted in this interview that she's trying to lead the 1619 project to cross over to reparations. 
what I say to you is piss off. I'm not paying you. I'm not paying you for something that hasn't happened in my lifetime or since my great grandparents were alive. You can kiss my ass. You think I'm paying reparations for slavery that I had nothing to do with? No. And then ever then she said that reparations would be paid for by the government. Well, where does the government get its money, jackass? What do we pay taxes for, stupid? The more I dig into this, the more I realize how dumb this project is and how stupid it is. And there is a lot more to come. This is just a taste of what I've got of what I'm reading up and trying to absorb and relate to you guys. And it seems funny that black people, all black, a lot of black people are about reparations. Nicole Hannah-Jones graduated college with a degree in, in black in African-American studies or black studies in journalism. And now she's got a Pulitzer Prize, I guess. I'm not sure. From what I understand, you, I've talked about it earlier. But um, she has a PhD. She's got a black. She's got a, a black husband. And no, I'm not trying to be racist. I'm just pointing this out. The fact that she's making it racist. She's using her race as a crutch. That's bullshit. That's unexcusable in my book. If you're going to be, if you're going to use the race card that often, when you're clearly better off than me. I mean, she probably lives in a house that she hasn't, she doesn't have to worry about for the next thirty damn years, and then she had a bunch of young people contribute to this. I mean, apparent from what I understand, she had a bunch of other black, uh, younger black people contribute to this pro, to this essay, and now this essay is becoming school curriculum. It's been proven, and there's at least one school district, one school district. That's already implemented as curriculum. Proven fact. By the time this podcast gets released, there'll probably be a couple more. But how does your how does your great great grandparents or your grandparents even, if your parents waited until they were insanely old to have you, if your grandparents or great grandparents were slaves, how do how am I responsible for paying you for that? That's on people say there's a pay gap. No, I, I'm sorry. I've worked. I've worked since I was. I've start, I've been working since I was 12. And everybody I worked with either got paid the same as me or or, or more than me, depending on where the depending on how long they worked. Like at Home Depot, the longer you work there, the more you get paid. And I worked with plenty of black guy. I worked with plenty of black people who were getting paid the same rate I was. Where's the income inequality? There's not. I rode a bike to work, so I saved money on tags, insurance, you know, all this crap you have to pay for in a car. I didn't have to pay it. I had a, I rode a bike, so I saved a buttload of money. I took my I took my lunch to work. I saved money that way. Now I'm gonna leave this I'm gonna leave this segment on a high note because I've still got a buttload of reading. So I will see you guys the next segment. I'll probably not be wearing this shirt. I don't know. I just changed today, but I. Uh, You'll see the continuation here just shortly. Okay? Welcome to segment three. You probably won't notice this is just like one strung up thing. Next article up. 
I found time to do this today. So my daughter got out of school early because of, uh, because of parent-teacher conferences. So I'm going to try to record as much of this as I can possible today. Okay. We're going to keep on going, moving with our um, assessing here. <coughs> I have my laptop open because I downloaded the articles to my phone and transferred them to my computer. That way I could read them. Because my computer and my phone is what I record the podcast with, then put it to uh, put it to my computer to shrink it, and well, you probably get that anyway. This article is: We respond to the historians who uh, we respond to the historians who critiqued the 1619 project. Five historians wrote us with their reservations. Our editor in chief replies: This was published in December 20th. 2019, updated January 4th, 2020. And this is from January 20, uh, January 4th, 2020. I literally saved a bunch of these articles that we could read them. Okay, response to the 1619 Project. Okay, we write as historians to express our strong reservation about, the, um, about important aspects of the 1619 Project. The project is intended to offer a new version of American history in which slavery and white supremacy became the dominant organizing themes. The Times has announced ambitious plans to make the project available to schools in the form of curriculums and related instructional material. We applaud all efforts to address the enduring centrality of slavery and racism in our country. Some of us have devoted our professional entire lives to, these effort, to those efforts, and all of us have worked toward advancing them raising profoundly unsettling questions about slavery in the nation's past and present, as the 1619 Project does. As a praiseworthy and urgent public service, nevertheless, we are dismayed at some of the factual errors in the project and the closed process behind it. You'll have to, excuse me, I have to scroll down to where the information is. These areas which concern, which concern major events cannot be de, uh, described as interpreting or framing. They are matters of verifiable facts, which are the foundations of both honest scholarship and honest journalism. They suggest the displacement of historical understanding by ideology, dismissal of objects, uh, dismissal, uh, dismissal of objections on racial grounds, that they are objections of only white historians has affirmed this displacement. On the American Revolution, pivotal to any account of our country, the project, assert, uh, the project asserts that the founders declared the, uh, the colonies independent of Britain in order to ensure slavery would continue. This isn't true. If supportable, and the allegation would be if true, the allegation would be astounding. Yet every statement offered by the project to validate it is false. Some of the other material in the project is distorted, including the chain that, for the most part, black Americans have fought their freedom struggles alone. <clears throat> yeah, I know. These articles are like, in, unless you're reading it on your phone, it's inundated with other crap. <laughs> Still, other, tailor, other material is misleading. And in case you can't hear in the background, I'm listening to iHeart uh, Halloween tunes. Let's see. The project criticizes Abraham Lincoln's views on racial equality, but ignores his conviction that the Declaration of, Indep of Independence proclaimed universal equality for blacks as well as whites, a view he upheld repeatedly against powerful white supremacists who, who opposed him. 
The project also ignores Lincoln's treatment agreement with Fred, Frederick Douglass that the Constitution was, in Douglass's words, a glorious liberty document. Instead, the project asserts that the United States is founded on racial slavery and an argument rejected by a majority of abolitionists proclaiming champions of slavery like John C. Calhoun. The 1619 Project has not been presented as the views of individual writers, using in some cases, as on the opposed direct connections between slavery and corporate, uh, modern corporate practices, have so far failed to establish any empirical veracity or reliability, and have been seriously challenged by other historians. Instead, the project is offered as an, uh, as an authoritative account that bears the imprimatur and credibility of the New York Times. Those connected with the project have assured the public that its materials were shaped by a panel of historians and have been scrupulously fact-checked, yet the process remains opaque. Names of only some of the historians involved have been released, and the extent of their involvement as consultants and fact-checkers remain vague. The selective transparency deepens our concern. We ask that the Times, according to its own high standards of accuracy, accuracy and truth, issue prominent corrections of all the errors and uh, distortions presented in the 1619 Project. We also ask for the removal of these mistakes from any material destined for use in schools, as well as in all further publication, including books bearing the name of the uh, and including the books bearing the name of the New York Times. We finally ask that the Times reveal fully the process through which Historic materials were and can continue to be assembled, checked, and authenticated. Sincerely, Victoria Benham, James, James M. McPherson, James Oakes, Sean Willens, and Jordan Gordon S. Wood. And, yeah, I, I've looked up all these names to match up faces, and it's kind of to no avail to a certain point, but let's keep pushing forward. And yes, apparently my, my, my neighbors are outside on the porch smoking very loudly. Now we delete this because we've gone through that. Thank God. I probably repeated an article I already read, but... Okay, now we take a stab at... An article by Philip Magnus. <clears throat> Now, this article was apparently published. Let me scroll down to it. The Case for Retracting Matthew Desmond's 1619 Project Essay by Philip W. Magnus. <clears throat> Give me a second to get this centered on my screen so I don't have to scroll a whole lot. Okay. Since the outlet of the 1619 Project controversy... I've consistently argued that the overwhelming majority of the project's problem derived from a single-featured essay, Matthew Desmond's piece on capitalism and slavery. This essay advances an explicit anti-capitalist political message that's rooted in fundamental misreading of economic history. Although he repurposes the concept with, anti, with, the, with an anti-slavery message, Desmond essentially attempts to rehabilitate King Cotton ideology. A long discredited piece of pro-slavery propaganda from the Confederate era. He also ignores the intellectual history of capitalism, including the strong historical association between laissez-faire theorists and ab abolitionism. 
Today, I'd like to take a look at another dimension uh, and other problems in Desmond's essays. It's errors of historical fact and it's misuse of historical resources. In doing so, it is important to recognize that there are other faults with the contributions to the 1619 project. Its lead essay still exaggerates British anti-slavery elements during the American Revolution, repurposing independence as a pro-slavery movement. But these faults are not irredeemable. They could be addressed by relaxing the claim or injecting greater nuance into the discussion, should the Times exhibit an inclination to place historical accuracy above politics, which they should, but they're not. They've only just started, I think. I think some of the stuff they've started already backpedaling. Desmond's argument, however, is riddled with factual error and dubious scholarly interpretations that warrant severely discounting the piece as a whole. This is not wrong. I've actually read up quite a bit on the, uh, what how this piece got written and how everybody how all the people that contributed to the 1619 project got to uh, were invited to uh, do this but let's keep on with the article let's consider those problems anyway I know that was goofy and creepy as hell but let's keep going with it I don't know if I'm gonna read the entire article but I'll try to I'll try to see what I can do about it okay a fault of genealogy Desmond begins his argument by asserting that a direct lineal descent from the violence and coercive operations of the plantation system to the business practices of the modern uh, uh, economy. As he contends, recently historians have uh, pointed persuasively to the natty fields of Georgia and Alabama, to the cotton houses and slave auction blocks as the birthplace of America's low road approach to capitalism. The historians he refers to here are almost exclusively drawn from the highly contested New History of Capitalism School, and many of its leading contributors are featured in his essay. <coughs> Desmond's reluctant, uh, relu not reluctance, Desmond's reliance on such uh, a narrow historiographical echo chamber itself is, problem is itself problematic. Given how many scholars outside of the NCH reject its claims, and given the documentation of errors, affecting its core claims, we may nonetheless allow his claimed genealogical progression from the plantation to the modern economy. The effect of this alleged infusion, Desmond therefore contends, is still to, is to instill modern capitalism with a foundational brutality that can only be rectified by adopting a litany of economic policy interventions that bear a striking resemblance to the progressive wing of the Democratic Party today. The data genealogy is presented as a matter of fact. No, the state of genealogy is presented as a matter of fact. It's not meant to be fictional. It's meant to be factual. Desmond evokes the imagery of a modern corporation where everything is tracked, recorded, and analyzed via ver vertical reporting systems, double, edge, uh, double entry recording, key record keeping, and precise quantification. Then asserts that many of the techniques that we now take for granted were developed by and for large plantations. This is false. If you studied anything in the Civil War, they didn't write every damn thing down. You think they uh, they didn't write down every time they were going to take uh, uh, a slave behind the woodshed and whip him or beat him to damn near death? They didn't keep records of that crap. So this thing of meticulously no. 
they kept track of their products. Not slaver, not slaves, product. And yes, uh, there have been, it has been well documented that several uh, plantations fudge their documentation to make their, uh, to make their plantation uh, or product worth more. And hold on, I think I gotta close my daughter's door. Rena, would you go and check see if that door's closed? I think it's open. Yeah, I can only go. I only have so much hearing, but I can I can hear pretty decently with that one. Okay. When an accountant depreciates an asset to save on taxes, when a mid-level manager spends an afternoon filling in rows and columns on an Excel spreadsheet, he continues, they are repeating business procedures whose roots twist back to slave labor camps. By direct implication, modern capitalism carries the same moral stain with it. That's a biased opinion. That's bullshit. It's nonsense. It is wrong. And you don't have to be in the class. You don't have to be in class, uh, a history class, for any more than three weeks when you're studying the Civil War and slavery to realize that that's bullshit. I love, I love how uh, Desmond made this thing, uh, paints this new picture of capitalism that's based on slavery, which it's not. Obviously, he never, he hasn't done his homework. And that's disturbing. But yeah, I, I'm not going to read this whole article because it is like 20 pages long and I don't want this to be a uh, a three-hour podcast just, in, just on one article itself. So that's basically the taste of it. He's accused uh, this guy, Philip Magnus, is openly indicting <coughs> uh, Desmond. And he should. Just as with what I've learned from other uh, from other news sources, other stories I've read, poetry and uh, artwork and all the stuff from young African Americans was included was included in this uh, project. Apparently, the magazine was like that thick, so it's pretty thick, you know, a good quarter to uh, a good quarter to an inch or half inch thick. I'm not sure. I think it was more quarter inch. But there's this outline of, okay, here's our box. We were slaves. You founded this country on slavery. You fought the Revolutionary War based on slavery. Not true. And for people who want to, uh, for people like uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones who want to place uh, that kind of weight on slavery being the motivating force for all of uh, uh, for all of uh, our rights and liberties? No, bullshit. Just like I shared with one of you that uh, the interview that Nicole Hannah Jones did with I can't remember the guy's name, but she is pushing she is pushing this 6019 project as curriculum. And she's trying to lead it back to getting reparations. In the interview, she she honestly says, well, we're not going to be taking money from the people. We're going to be taking money from the government. Well, who pays for the government? Us! Okay. Now it sounds like I'm uh, trying to get 
uh, idiotic, but I'm not. This is already going to be a really long podcast, but yeah, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, her assertions and the assertions of other people about racism are unfounded and biased as hell, and I don't see why, because she, she's supposed to be this investigative journalist. But if you truly look at her research, it's biased one-sided and it is completely leaning in one direction. The only direction she wants to go in. Now, while I don't agree with Nicole, I will, I will say that it, she published an essay. Okay. I'll buy that for a dollar. What I'm not going to buy into... <coughs> excuse me. That was a really big one. What I refuse to buy into is the fact that I immediately need to feel guilt-fucked into paying reparations. If you take reparation, if you take money out of my check for uh, slavery reparations, I want my goddamn check for when uh, the Irish were slaves. I can't prove that my, uh, ans- uh, that my direct ancestors were slaves, but they can't do that either. Okay, now, to the next article. This was published. Creator of the 1619 Project discusses the legacy of, discusses the legacy of slavery. Written by Brandis Friedman, February 20th, 2020. That's a lot of 20s, right? Okay, let's scroll down through all the crap. Okay. In 2020, the country will mark the 400th year since pilgrims arrived, traveling on that touchstone of American history, the Mayflower. But the year before that, in 1619, a much darker period began with another ship, the White Lion. That was the first ship carrying slaves taken from Africa to arrive in the future United States of America. We were a colony back then, so any argument they have, as of that, is kind of moot. Anyway... The New York Times Magazine 1619 Project, commemorating the 400th anniversary of slavery's beginning, argues that it is the moment that America we know actually happened. Actually, or let's start that sentence over again. The New York Times uh, 1619 Project, commemorating the, four, commemorating the 400th anniversary of slavery's beginning, argues that is the moment. The America we know today actually began. See, I pulled it off. Journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones led the project's creation while in town for Chicago Ideas. She enjoyed, uh, She joined Chicago tonight to discuss the project. Below, highlights from the conversation. This ought to be very interesting. And note that while the New York Times is backpedaling and taking out... The original uh, application of that's how America started. No, that's how it was colonized. Difference therein. <coughs> Sorry, dry throat. I got better protein drink here. Water. Sorry, people. I got to take a drink. Ugh. Let's put that over there. Put that out of camera range. Now you can't see it. Anyway, 
my uh, anchor listeners won't get that at all, so it's okay. <clears throat> why did you create, or why did you want to create the 1619 Project? The year 1619 and that ship called the White Line was one of the most important moments in the American story. It is a moment that is really the, at the basis for so much American life. The very definition of American freedom, our culture, our politics. There's almost nothing that's left been left untouched by that decision. Yet almost no Americans have ever heard of the year 1619. And, and certainly, while every American child is taught about the Mayflower, almost no American children are taught about the White Lion. Yeah, you can count me in that picture. I've never heard of the White Lion. And I also have, since it's been middle school since the last time I started the Mayflower, you're looking at probably what, 25 to 30 years since I've even read up on when the sunflower was around. That's how long it's been, and yes, back then I aced history, but as a few people have learned, I've forgotten more than some people will ever know. But moving on, it's almost no American children are taught about the white line. Well, we're also taught about the uh, Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. And if there was a fourth ship that came, uh, that knowledge wasn't published in books. And when you're in school, at least when I was in school, I'm not sure about the kids who graduated recently, but you couldn't write, like if you were told to write a small essay about this kind of thing, what was in the book counted. What wasn't in the book doesn't count for anything. You can watch History Channel all your life and go on a long spiel about uh, uh, <clears throat> ships from colonial times and how they were bereft with uh, engineering uh, issues, easily sinkable and whatnot. It doesn't go germane to the point. I mean, for the for some of the information I've learned now. I found out some there are a few kids in college who are just now finding this stuff out. So if you had to learn it in college, why the hell would you expect school-aged children to know this stuff? Children, young children, yeah, and it, this is going to sound weird, but I don't think young children like my six-year-old, I don't think she should know about slavery yet. When she's a little more mature, maybe high school, uh, maybe uh, middle, upper middle school or lower high school level, <clears throat> she can start learning about the horrors of slavery if she wants to research that. But you shouldn't be telling uh, you shouldn't be telling six and seven year olds what uh, what rape is explicitly about murdering people and all this other kind of stuff. They need to know that at one point. Some people owned a lot of other people. Now, for, for my youngest, that is how slavery is going to get explained to her. When she gets older, we can explain to her the horrors and uh, nastiness of slavery, but yeah. Okay, now we're getting back to this damn article. Sorry I had to side split, but I really wanted to uh, make that clear. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, and uh, this is the interviewer. There, that's a major shift in thinking. To ask Americans to consider that in 1619 was the year that America we know today was founded. 
Jones's reply. We understand that that's radical reframing, and certainly the project is not arguing that the year 1776 doesn't matter. What it is saying, consider a different origin story. And if we consider a different origin story, how may that shape the way we understand the nation that came? 1776 is the year we declared our independence, but the seeds of what became the United States began far earlier, earlier than that. Even as, and even as Thomas Jefferson was writing the words of the Declaration, he owned 130 human beings, and the founders made a decision at that moment that they are not going to end the institution of slavery. Slavery is influencing our Constitution, our very founding, to mark a different origin, one that does not glorify the United States, but one that really speaks to some of our founding changes and or challenges and hypocrisies, forces us to confront the realities that if you look across American life today, black Americans still suffer from the worst effects on almost everything that you can measure. How is that not radical racism? How is her word how are her words in context? <clears throat> how are her words in context not vehemently and violently racist? Not only that, they're victimized racism. Well, African Americans back in this time were in, were uh, slaves. We still have to deal with. No, you don't. Nobody owns your ass. If you, uh, I'm pretty sure she owns her own house, own car, whatever is in her house. She probably owns it. She's not. I'm. I don't know if she uh, rents something. But I'm pretty sure most of the stuff in her life she owns. If you own all this crap, like I said in the video, uh, like I said in the previous segment, you're not poor. You're playing vic You're playing the victim card. And what's worse is the racist victim card. Well, I'm black. I need to be my. I need to be paid for what my what was done to my ancestors three to four generations ago. No, you don't. I don't get paid for whatever happened to my family when we went from. Uh, wealthy, uh, elite classist English people to, you know, poor white trash, I guess you'd call it right now. I'm not getting paid for the downfall of, of, of my family's wealthy status in England. And yes, my uh, one branch of my family was very wealthy, and God knows what happened to that. I don't care. I'm out to make my own damn life. That's the choice here. Okay. <clears throat> and reframing the history of America just to highlight one dirty sliver of American history, is bullshit. 1776 is the, date we've, is the date we've had, and now that some racist, race-baiting uh, guilt fucker, or guilt fuckette, decides that this should be the date that America started. No! It didn't start then. America... Uh, the United States didn't start then. It started when the Declaration of Independence got signed. And that is just so stupid. Okay, back to this. Enough of my ranting and raving for a minute. <sighs> what are we getting wrong in teaching slavery to students in schools? We don't teach it very well because we're uncomfortable. It's a shameful legacy. 
For instance, we don't get nearly enough about how often enslaved people resisted. We don't get nearly enough about how much slavery drove our policy. That was actually Southern policy that drove that. Thank you very much, lady. A lot, when you own a buttload of slaves, you make your decisions based on what's going to make you more money, not less. It's called free market economy for a reason. <clears throat> we tend to think of the North as being the abolitionist North and the racial, uh, racially egalitarian uh, North. And the South was backward. So we really don't learn that slavery was practiced in all 13 colonies. Okay. One clear point. Yes, there were slaves in all the colonies. And that the North also benefited financially from slavery. That this was really a nation, a national, national institution. And there's a reason why it took the deadliest war in the history of our country and 700,000 lives lost to end slavery. And that's because our entire country's economy, social and political systems were wrapped up in this institution. No. One side was fighting racism. The other side was trying to keep racism. Or, no, 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 no. One side was trying to fight slavery. And the other side was trying to keep slavery. I had to correct myself there. Because now I'm going to have, like, one or two people hounding me. Well, you should have... Okay. <clears throat> it's very challenging for people... <coughs> It's very challenging for people because we need to believe, as Americans, that we are a nation founded on the individual rights and liberties of men. But we were also founded on the complete enslavement and bondage of one-fifth of the population. This is this project is really trying to force us to grapple with that truth. No. No. What about the white people who didn't have slaves that worked their butts off? And were sharecroppers and slaves, just like the uh, just like the African Americans were, and the African Americans were slowed in, uh, were normally sold into slave slavery by somebody else. We just bought them from them. I mean, the people who were here, you know. What monkey? What? Okay, go lay down. Close your door. Oi. Just when you think kids are okay. Yeah, Drina's over here laughing her ass off. Chuckling at me. It's okay. She's 18. She will learn. This project is being... Okay, back to the interviewer th uh, bit. This project is being used as a lesson in schools, including Chicago public schools. What do you want young people to take away from this? This is Jones's response. Shout out to CPS CEO Janice Jackson for implementing this. Every high school student in Chicago Public Schools has access to this project. I think it's really important that we get a, a, a more accurate history, that we children teach children to challenge the given narrative, so to quest or to question, to have understanding of the American story that is more inclusive and that is more realistic. And particularly for black children, it is critical that they have access to a historical curriculum. That does not demean them. That does not erase them. That explains the circumstances in which they live. I think that would can be tremendously powerful. History uh, issue with the history here. Blacks, uh, when black tribes fought, the loser usually was sold into slavery. 
<coughs> and then you have uh, Muslim countries where they used to regularly slave trade their enemies. And that would be her sneezing. Okay, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, this teaching of a more realistic history and a more, truth, uh, a more truthful and inclusive history... We can get into that bowl of wax, but Hannah, jo uh, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones is trying to avoid that argument. Last one here uh, that I know of. You included many other writers for the essays and for creative works like Poetry for the Project. Why is it important to have this collection of voices? The 1619 Project speaks to the resilience and the resistance of black people in this country. So when you open the project, nearly every piece is written by black Americans. To me, it is a critic. It is. It was critical to show all of the talent that is shaping our country, who are made up of people who are descendants from the enslaved and now are in a position to write these words in the New York Times, the paper of record. That, in and of itself, is a testament to the ancestors. I thought it was. I thought that was a very important part of the project. That it needed to be the people who descended from the enslaved, who told stories of this legacy. Okay, now, this piece is, she, uh, whoever wrote this, uh, whoever wrote this article, I get they were trying to be somewhat neutral, but you can hear the slant straight the hell up in this interview. <clears throat> I mean, this slant is like a greased up axle flying down a hill. There's not much you can do to avoid it, but you may as well just face it. Okay, we're done with that article. Thank God. Taking off to work. Yeah. Have fun, kiddo. See you tonight. Okay, next article is going to be from March 2nd, 2020. I don't know how much longer this is going to be. I'm trying to sum these up as fast as possible. Okay. What the New York Times 1619 Project aims to teach your kids. Published on March 2nd, uh, March 2nd 2020, uh, by John Podoritz. P-O-D-H-O-R-E-T-Z. Podoritz. That's the, only way I can, that's the only way I can think to pronounce it right off the bat. Especially since I'm trying to read. <clears throat> okay. Starting the article starts with a quote. An informed citizenry is the bulwark is the bulwark of our democracy. The words attributed to Thomas Jefferson raise an important question: What are the consequences of to, uh, to our democracy of a misinformed citizenry? That is a question we parents of school-aged children must ask. Must ask about the New York uh, the New York Times 1619 project. Its overall theme is that out of slavery grew nearly everything that has made and truly made America exceptional: its economy, might, its industrial power, and its electoral system. This distorted reading is an educated virus engineered to infect school children and warp their understanding of our history. 
to make that history seem poisonous and rather evil than uh, and evil rather than complex, tragic, and noble. The Pulitzer Center, not related to the Pulitzer Prizes, has designated an entire curriculum based on the 1619. Based on 1619, the 1619 project is more than a magazine issue. It's a national conversation that demands analysis, reflection, and insight from students. Right. <clears throat> the material invites students to come together as a class to recreate to create a new timeline of U.S. history. Your timeline should start with the year 1619. Work with your classmates to order the, be- the rest of the events you compiled. Yes, students who don't know anything about U.S. history are being tasked to create a new timeline. This is what propaganda is. This is what propaganda does. People, kids who have no fucking clue about any goddamn thing in history-wise, are being invited to reframe history based on Nicole Hannah Jones's article or her essay. And so they're going to create a new timeline because it suits them and their racist and racially defined outlines of what they want. No, that's. That's vapid stupidity. I I can't think of a word dumber than stupidity right now. But, uh, yeah. Jesus. I'm just, like, aghast from this. What exactly, okay, what student, what exactly is being propagandized here? If the root fact of the United States is slavery rather than a centuries-long and torturous journey toward the new nation based for the first time in human history in liberty, then the country is irredeemable, likely beyond salvation. So this, it incriminates generations who bear no guilt. No one living now was a slave, was alive when slavery existed. And in, in numerous, enormous numbers of Americans didn't have forebearers here when it did. I am one of a hundred, maybe, I'm one, I'm one of maybe a hundred million people whose ancestors came to this country after slavery was abolished. How exactly like people are, like me are implicated? Oh, God. Now if they wouldn't shout. I'm going to pause this. All right, sorry for that interruption. The, uh, our rather young and exuberant loudmouthed uh, neighbors were going off like bullhorns in a, uh, a shop full of deaf people. They were saying rather odd and stupid things, but youth. They're all like 18, 19, and they're all idiots, but here we go. Ugh. Back to where we were. What is likely is being propagandized here. If the root fact, of, uh, if the root of the, if the root fact of the United States is slavery rather than a centuries-long and torturous journey towards a new nation based on the first time in human history and liberty, then the country is irredeemable, likely beyond salvation. Fudging around with history preserve, to preserve present-day fashions is an enduring feature of the ideological of the ideologically warped. But the idea of reducing U.S. history to the fact that some people own slaves 
is a reducio ad absurdum. Absurdum. And the definition of bad faith. It incriminates generations who bear no guilt. No living person in the country was... No, no one now living was alive when slavery existed. And numerous, enormous numbers of Americans didn't have the forebears. <clears throat> the 1619 argument is that America became an economic powerhouse largely, if not exclusively, because of slavery, and therefore slavery was the lure that led my grandparents to migrate, immigrate here. A key academic, academic text used to further the argument. Edward Baptist, the half that's never been told, or the half has never been told, claims that 50% of all economic activity in the United States in 1836 was due to slavery. But as the eminent historian Wilfred McClay points out, Baptist's figure is based on statistical bungling, and the correct number should have been closer to 5% rather than 50. Now, 5% is not, an is not significant, an insignificant amount by any means, but it's vastly different from half. Gotta scroll down. Even if it were true, 25 years after Baptist's misunderstood year, the Civil War began. And as it was winding down, President Abraham Lincoln spoke these words about the conflict that killed more than half a million. Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills it to continue until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another's drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and the righteous altogether. Lincoln's words about God's justice being visited upon America for the sin of slavery are America too. In fact, they are more American than the America of the 1619 Project. If you're a Bible-going person, that is ultimately what it is in a, test, a testament to. <clears throat> the Times Project is an effort to alter the composition of, of the culture's amniotic fluid to bathe its most innocent creatures in something they will have no way of knowing is slander. The effort is led by a massive corporation comfortably housing writers who are preaching the villainy of the United States on six-digit salaries. Exactly. Rich people writing it to their particular slant. Which is just insane. What we have here are people at the summit of the elite talking without irony about the injustices of the nation that has garlanded them with fame, influence, and power. In misinforming the citizenry and thereby making it vastly more difficult for parents to raise their children as proud Americans who must continue the great experiment in liberty that began in 1776, the elite hypocrites behind the 1619 project are damaging the very republic that first made them um, made them first among equals. <clears throat> and oh, by the way, that um, by the way that Thomas Jefferson quote, there's no evidence he ever said it. History is tricky. This goes back to my first asserted point about. Wealthy, middle-class, 
African Americans are somehow less wealthy than, say, me, for instance. Total and utter malarkey. I don't, I'm not, I'm not buying this Kool-Aid at all. But the fact that somebody's actually barking up the tree enough to uh, have us chew on this gristle is just, it's stupid. Sorry, I'm going in between articles right now. And yes, we're still on Halloween, so you can hear, probably might be able to hear Michael Jackson in the background. Good waiting music, maybe. Okay, what the project, what the 1619 project really means. It's liberty and constructive critics both missed the point by Timothy Messier Cruz. Let's see, is this offering anything really fancy? Well, let's read some and find out. How about that? On the 400th anniversary of the landing and sale of the first Africans, Africans in Virginia, the New York Times published a series of essays, the 1619 Project, <coughs> by journalists and scholars on the, on the meaning of slavery in America. Its purpose was to reframe the country's history by placing the consequences of slavery and the contributions of black Americans at the very center of our national narrative. Oddly, this gesture toward questioning the, nationally, the national hymn of progress provoked a loud protest from both liberal and conservative academics. And one of the logos won't move, so I have to kind of position around here. Nicole Hannah-Jones, a correspondent for the New York Times Magazine, begins her introductory essay by approaching slavery and racism through her own family's stories, and then describes the much-overlooked centrality of slavery to the economic rise of the United States. Got a pause for the cause here. Okay. <clears throat> Hannah Jones, another essayist from uh, Frame America, as a nation born into the protection of slavery, whose basic institutions are constructed on a racist logic. Anti-black racism runs in the very DNA of... This is in quotes. Anti-black racism runs in the very DNA of this country, as does the belief, so well articulated by Lincoln, that black people... <coughs> <clears throat> that black people are the obstacle of racial unity. Hannah Jones wrote in what became the most criticized sentence in this collection. The, her assertion is completely uh, fucking racist. I'm wanting to know where she comes off as being as wealthy as she is and as privileged as she is. She can say, oh, I worked this hard for this long to get... To assert that Lincoln thought that the black people were the an obstacle to national unity. No, he didn't. This is blatant rate. This is a blatant reverse racism. This is a black lady calling all of us racist and calling all white people racist because she thinks that she did a good job of researching all this crap. 
and letting other people just speak if uh, just speak of effluvium like they're like oh there's no there's no repercussions for us writing a false narrative and the five scholars who we talked about earlier who wrote that letter in response to it uh, Wellens McPherson Wood uh, and Bynum and Oaks um, they're taking issue or they took issue and uh, point out factual errors <sighs> but yeah this is just it, it's it's stupid oh god now they're playing the monster mash now what's really funny is all this 1619 crap is forgetting about white abolitionists and the Underground Railroad and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass this is a group of this is the modern equivalent of of uh, what what can I compare this to? This is the modern equivalent to when uh, the radical LGBT left was shouting that well we deserve these rights. Okay, we I get that they were doing it. I don't approve of how they were doing it. When well we want all rights and we want them now. We waited long. Okay. How long did it take to get rid of slavery? How long? Did, uh, how long did it take for civil uh, for uh, civil rights to be acknowledged and, acc and acclaimed <clears throat> and passed? <laughs> and yet, in the mid two thousands, maybe the early twenty tens, it was a huge damn deal. And now it's debatable that it's going to be coming up for. Uh, issuance again by the Supreme Court I don't know and to be honest I like getting this stuff when I get to it if I'm not to that bridge I don't get there yet I can predict what might happen or I can predict or I can possibly predict what's gonna happen <clears throat> but honestly what I think needs to happen here because I think I'm about done reading the reading these uh, articles I think and uh, I don't mean to cut you all of you short but honestly, I'm not going to continue uh, researching 1619 uh, to its eventual fruition where either she wins or the rest of us win. And what alarms me about 169, the 1619 project is it's not done by scholars, people who know the period. They know the economics. They know the... Uh, <clears throat> they know the... Uh, demographics of that time Nicole Hannah Jones is a journalist and the fact that she graduated with a degree in investigative journalism I don't see how flipping the narrative because you feel something because you feel slavery is important and because you feel that you're being undermined by like me no you're turning you're you're doing you're pulling an Al Sharpton you're pulling out the race card and saying I'm black, and you're racist. Now, here's your card. Never owned a slave. Never seen a slave. Not like what they're talking about. 
there's in my lifetime there hasn't been any slaves unless you're talking about sex slave totally different scenario yes it's bad I can I don't condone sex slavery but slavery as it's written about in the 1619 project hasn't existed in my lifetime it was born in 1980 now for those of you who I'm pretty sure at some point somebody will listen to this and think that I'm a racist. I am not. Not even close to being a racist. What sucks to me is the fact that this educated, wealthy, elitist black lady is being so blatantly racist and nobody is nobody is really calling her out on it, but the New York Times keeps backpedaling things that she herself has said and wrote. She has written that the true founding of this country didn't start in 1776, it started in 1619. No, that's a one-sided slandist view. That's being a slaver. That's going back to the uh, the cotton gin uh, theory. I'm sorry, you don't get to rewrite history because you don't like it, or because it doesn't give you every opportunity. We're all, most of us, for the most part, are born the same way. Naked, afraid, and crying. Rich kids have a huge advantage. I wasn't born rich. Have I spent more money, have I, have I been irresponsible with some of my finances in certain parts of my life? Hell yeah, I'm human. I grew up dirt poor, dirt poor so yeah, when I had huge amounts of money, I tended to blow through it instead of invest it in other things. But it's my problem. I'm not going to blame all the other junkers in the city who are African American because I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I sh that I should have done this instead of that. I can't blame them for that. That's personal choice. <coughs> but the fact that this is being pushed in curriculum is not only horrendously uh, horrendous oversight, but the fact that parents are allowing it to happen and parents are agreeing to it is an oversight on the part of the parents. The long-term effect could be disastrous. I want to point out that uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones' husband contributed to this project. So did poet. She invited basically all of her black friends. Go to your room, please. I will talk to you here in a minute. Go. Close your door. I find it alarming that people are letting this fly, and you know I, I think it's as divisive as the one I saw. I saw uh, the View yesterday, and they had the, one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. She is no longer really in the forefront. She's kind of separated herself from uh, BLM, <clears throat> but she. She sat there with the corniest, fakest smile I've ever seen. And for a lady who's so much about Black Lives Matter, her hair is as straight as a sheet. And I would think for a lady like her, she'd want to wear an afro or something. I don't know. But she's wearing a hairdo that you commonly find on white women. Now, the biggest issue with all the, uh, the biggest uh, harpoon contention is that this is going to change America, the American culture. 
we don't need to have it change. We don't need to have the 1619 project. We also don't need to have the, uh, was it the 1776, whatever the hell the president's calling it, whatever Trump's calling it, like initiative or some weird thing, where it only glorifies America. It doesn't point out any of our flaws. It just points out to the glorious nature. You have to take the good with the, you have to take the good with the bad in order to have this happen. And if you guys want to do your own research on this, go ahead. I suggest you look. Uh, I, if you guys uh, want, um, upon request, I can share the video of Nicole Hannah Jones saying that this is all leading to uh, uh, to reparations, which basically means all of us white people will be paying for reparations. Complete bullshit and racist to the core. <clears throat> I'm not sure what my next subject's going to be about, because this, I've been working on this for weeks. And, no, I didn't do all this at once. It's taking quite a few times, and the only reason I got cut short today was because the loud-ass indignant neighbors who are too stupid to know when to shut their mouths. But, uh, yeah, I've also had some other important stuff, like uh, my oldest, uh, my oldest, my oldest daughter's half-sister came here and we have to teach her how to adult now so it's going to be an interesting theory but i wish you guys the best and um yeah that'll be it for this closing feel free to like subscribe i really don't care if you do or not kind of hoping you do but i'm thinking about going on a live stream here soon i hope to have this video out today on youtube and maybe some of you'll get it some of you won't i don't care but yeah, I, I planned on coming out with my, uh, with a with a reckoning video or reasoning video. But I'm gonna work on this after I get done shrinking this and then putting it up on YouTube. So y'all take it easy, fly straight, peace out, and go vote, bitches.